tonight as we look at this issue, I feel a little bit overwhelmed. Um, but we've just got you know uh, time for this message, and we're going to cover hope, uh, an incredible amount of um, areas, uh, but not in depth. So hopefully you won't be frustrated by the lack of things I say about issues tonight. But tonight. Um, I've almost, you know, when you're doing an exam and you get a question and you don't answer the question, but you say a lot of other good things, that's what tonight's message is a bit on, like what would Jesus say about relationships today? And I think tonight we're just going to look at what the Bible really says and we'll be referring to what Jesus says, but I have broadened my limit, you know, of, of material to more than just what Jesus said tonight. So the, the things, I'm going to give you a broad uh, framework for relationships, then we're going to talk about our own, uh, each of us here, our own um, ways to live in the way that God uh, has called us to. We're going to be talking a little bit about homosexuality uh, towards later on in the message, and then we're going to have some things to say during it about uh, people who are single. Is there just no, uh, you know, nothing they can do in terms of sexuality in the, in the meantime. So broad framework. As it comes to relationships tonight, I think the best place to start, just to spread the canvas so wide, is to say that God is a God of relationships. God made us and he made us to love us and to have relationship with us. So God is a God of love. He's a loving God. And, and so he, he made us to love him and to know him. And if you look at the picture in Genesis, you, you might want to turn there with me. And you see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 to 25, this is what it says in, in Genesis chapter 2. It says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you were to eat from any tree in the garden of fruit, uh, but not to eat from the tree of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, the Lord took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And then it says this, the man and the wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is a, a great way to begin looking at relationships. Here we have Man and woman in relationship with God. The vertical aspect of relationship with God was good. It was pure. It was 
holy. They loved the God who loved them and there was nothing between God and them that would break their deep fellowship and union. And then vertically between Adam and Eve, there was nothing uh, in between them. They were naked and they weren't embarrassed or ashamed. They were before God and they weren't embarrassed or ashamed. There was love one to the other. It's interesting, isn't it, this vertical, horizontal aspect. And I think if we understand this and get a grip of this, it transforms the way we think about relationships. Because if your relationship with your creator, God the Father, uh, is right, if you love God and you know him and you love him and you worship him and serve him, then the relationships that you have with others will be so much strengthened and enriched and helped in your life. But you know, if your relationship with God, if you block that off and walk away from that and start to live in your own way, the relationships that you form will not be ones that are fulfilling and are good. Our relationship with God through faith in Christ leads us to be people who love one another, not just in the physical act of sex, but in relationships, how we relate to people. That's why Jesus said the most important of all the things is love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself. The way to treat women correctly, men and women, uh, men, is to love God and honour women that you meet. Uh, For uh, women, the way to treat men is to love God and to honour those who you meet who are men. Uh, Men, the way to treat men is to love God and and honour and and treat men uh, the way that God commands you to and calls you to. And for women, how you treat women flows out of a relationship with God. And so there's a beautiful picture here. But when you read that, you just go, oh, how things have changed. I mean, how how things have changed all these years on. What was a garden... With two women, a man and a woman naked before God and unashamed to what we have today seems so far away. Today it seems everywhere you turn is sex, sex, sex. I mean, all, all you, all, everywhere you look, the ads on TV are trying to sell you the most ridiculous thing with sex. You know, they, they use uh, that every time you turn on the TV, every ad. It seems that there's every program that we show uh, has suggestive jokes, has sometimes, you know, often nudity, even in our own TVs that we see uh, today. It's everywhere on the TV. It seems that there's uh, also, it's an accepted part of movies that we just go and see now. Uh, the internet in our homes, it, it, the p- images and pictures and uh, things of sex just, just flood and available there. Uh, 24-7 for anybody who wants to to see them. They're in our homes, it's in our offices, on our mobile phones. It's everywhere we go. Pornography can be viewed and seen. And it seems that sex has moved from something becoming good and right before God to something that has become our God. It's almost like we've started to worship sex as a society. 
We've taken God from his rightful place and we said sex is so important that we should be thinking about it and talking about it and we should be pursuing it as often as we can. And it's almost as though if you were to say, what is the God of this, these people today? If you look around us and see what dominates our screens, what dominates our thinking, it seems that sex has come out of a place which is an appropriate expression of two people who love each other before a God. To something that's distorted, taken images of, photos of, put in high glossy magazines, put everywhere else, and taken right out of the context that was initially planned for. Added to that, we've got this problem in that now, you know, as we grow up, people are reaching adolescent. Uh, age at such a, a a younger age than they ever did, and for many of you uh, young people and young adults, the age of marriage is sort of going later and later, and so we have this situation where it's a long time to wait before the sex can be expressed. Um, you know, between a, a husband and wife, a man and woman. So, so the question is. Just what can you do? I suppose that's a a good place to start to say if you're single, you know, does this mean that you're um, committed to a a, a sexless life until you're married or if you don't marry that, you know, you can just forget all of that? You know, one of the things that we often do is we talk when we talk about relationships and sex, we kind of have today focused on the physical act of sex, just like what we do with our private parts, you know. But sex is so much more than that. And, and, and if you're single today, um, I, I think that a lot of people, you don't have to feel like that's just it. I mean, as a, as a woman or as a man, you can relate to other men and women and you can relate to them as a woman and your sexuality, who you are as a person, your femaleness and relating to other people in social settings is good and right. And you don't have, it doesn't have to just come down to the way we use our, our body. So social sexuality is just the way that we talk today. You can have a cup of coffee and catch up with people. Uh, you know, the way a, a man can be a great encouragement to, you know, older uh, ladies or, or how older ladies can be a great help to younger men and how together we can, in spite of, we can encourage and help each other in non-physical but, but great ways because of our gender and our help. So... You can find some, some, some joy in, in actually being able to relate to other people in that way. Um, it's not to minimise the longings. I mean, it doesn't mean that just thinking, great, well, I can just relate to guys or, or I can just relate to girls, you know, and enjoy their company. That, that's a real help. But, but I think what you need to do is realise you don't have to just think of it as physical. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of joy in relating to people of the opposite sex without the physical. And I don't think that means just to just settle for that. I mean, I don't mean to minimise people's longings. If you're a guy who just longs to be married, you know, that's, that's fine. If you're 
a, a female, but I don't think you should think that you're not any less of a person if you're single. You know, the Bible talks about singleness and it talks about how, you know, sometimes it's good to be single. And, and there's so many uh, things in that. And, and I, I just think it's not the end of your life as a person if you are single. There's a lot of fulfilment that you can find just in who you are as a single female or male person. It's not just by that sexuality is just minimised to physical acts. It's society telling us that. As a male and as a, as a female, we can relate to each other and it's, and it's, and it's great. So what can we do? today in this sexualized society where it seems that people treat it as a God. How can we live? Well, I, I just want to give you some, some things for us today and just to talk to you about that um, briefly, trying to be as practical as I can. I think the first thing that we, we need to do is realise we're not just going to go through this period of our lives remaining you know, godly and doing his will without trying very hard. So I think the very first thing you should do is make a commitment to God's standards. I just think that's what you have to do. I don't think you can just hope to breeze along through this period of your life wherever you are. If you're single and you're waiting for the day when you'll be married, if you're a young person and, and, and you I just don't think you can just hope that you remain someone who you know, follows God's law. I think you need to make a commitment to God's standards and actually say, God, I'm committing to do that. And the good news is there are some definite standards and I just want to explain uh, what they are. I think there's three main things God invented sex for. And God made it. It's good. It's part of who we are. We don't have to be ashamed of it. it, it it's actually great. And the first thing that God made, it, made sex for is for pleasure between a wife and a husband in the commitment of a marriage vow. One man, one woman committed to each other for life. And the first purpose is for pleasure between that husband and that wife. That's what it's created for. That's what it's, it's for. The second reason that we have sex and, and, and the second principle when we come to think about it is for spiritual bonding. It, it brings a husband and a wife together in, in not just a physical way, but also an emotional and spiritual bonding way. Sex is far more than just physical. I think we know that, don't we? I mean, that's why if you've had a spiritual, uh, sorry, a sexual encounter that was wrong, you can still remember it, even though it might have happened like 10, 20 years ago. I mean, you have a drink of water, you can't remember it the next day when you had the drink of water and anything. But 10, you know, 5, 10, 15 years on, you can still remember that wrong thing that happened. It shows how this is not just a detached physical act. It's something that goes, goes right. It's far more than just physical. It's, it's, there's a spiritual bonding. There's an emotional bonding that takes place. So first, it's for pleasure between husband and wife. It's for spiritual bonding. And third, it's for procreation. So we can have 
children and have babies. And obviously God made this you know, command to Adam and Eve and we've done really well, I think. Don't you think? You know, <laughs> we've obeyed that one. We got that one right down the, down the time. And that's why you're here in answer to that, that, uh, you know, that command. So I think the first thing we need to do is just make a commitment to say, hey, if I'm God's and if I love him and if I'm going to serve him, this is what I'm going to make a commitment to. Those three things. I'm going to say that this is what I'm going to do uh, and this is how I'm going to use uh, the, the physical parts of sex in my life. I think the second thing that we need to do, and without that, I just think we're going to be you know, making decisions all the time. The second thing I think we really need to get a grip on uh, today, if we're going to make it through this life in a way that is, is going to please God, is to realise that purity, purity paves the way for intimacy. Purity paves the way for intimacy. Now, there's a old story, a little story. This little, uh, this girl was going to school and she wanted to give her teacher an apple. She loved her teacher so much and said, what a great teacher she was. She wanted to give her as a gift an apple. And it was a long way to school and this little girl was just so hungry that she couldn't wait to give it to her. So she took a bite out of the apple. And then when she got to school, she finally you know, got there and was running to get to class and she dropped the apples, apple out into the mud and she picked it up and said, oh, no, no, no. She put it in her bag and went into the class and she forgot about it. And by about the afternoon, she remembered the gift that she wanted to give to her teacher. And when she got it, you know, how apples turned white and, you know, and she gave it to the teacher. And what could have been the most beautiful, wonderful apple <laughs> was now, you know, dirty and stained and not a good gift. I think it's like that with our sexuality. Uh, I mean, the more and more we mess with our sexuality in ways that God did not intend it, the more and more the gift we offer to the one that we end up with for the rest of our lives is kind of a, a gift that it's just not that great. And you know what the truth is? The more promiscuous you are, the less attractive you are for a marriage partner in the future. I mean, the more people that you have uh, fooled around with, the more and more harder it is uh, to, for people to actually feel that they can know you and, and get to know you because it's a physical bonding. And so I think what we need to understand is that Purity paves the way for intimacy. The wisest man who ever lived in Proverbs 4, 23, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he, he said these things. You, you remember God said, what would you like? You know, ask for anything. And he said, if you could give me wisdom, you know, that would be great. And God gave him incredible wisdom like no man had ever had before and no man since. And this is what he said. He said, when it all comes down to it in Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I think he understood that if you guard your heart, it will pave the way for a good life with God and with other people. Uh, paving the way as you guard your heart. Um, I, I think what this is saying is simple, that the way in which you move and you live your life in the area of sexuality will either lead you to being pure 
and then have more and more intimacy in your marriage relationship or it would lead you to being less and less pure and lead to less and less intimacy in a marriage relationship. Whatever steps you're taking, they're leading somewhere towards purity or impurity. And, and you might say, oh, look, it's just a little bit that I'm doing and it's just a bit, it doesn't really matter that way. No, but inter- purity paves the way for intimacy. It's like saying, I'm getting in the road and I'm going down to Melbourne. You tell everyone, you know, you, I'm going to Melbourne, going to see the footy, I've got my beanie on, I've got my hat, I'm going to the MCG and it's tomorrow night and I'm all excited and I've got everything there. But if you get on the Hume Highway and you go north, no matter how much you've told people, no matter how many tickets you've got on for the game, you're heading in the wrong direction. You won't get to Melbourne. And no matter how much you long for an intimate marriage, no matter how much you long for a marriage where you can sustain and, and, and love and enjoy your sexuality with your partner, if you are now moving in a way that leads away from purity, then you might still long for that, but you're not heading in the right direction. And so how do you be careful um, with how you think, guarding your heart so that you can live a life that's pure? How do you stop yourself from becoming impure? Like, like, how do you do that? Well, the same verse, you know, Proverbs 4.23, in the New Century version, this is how it reads. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So I'm just going to give you so quickly, this is too much, but here we go. What happens is our, our, the road to immorality starts with our thinking then it moves from our thinking to our emotions and then it moves from our thinking to our emotions to our actions. There's a progression. I mean, uh, that, that's just the way th- this works. So first of all, you accept sinful thoughts in your mind. Maybe that there's someone who you see at uni and you think that they're nice. They're nice. They're a little bit nicer than... Uh, other people and you, um, y- you might start going out with them and then it starts, you start to think about what it would be like to do something that's wrong with that person. And then the next step is it gets to emotional, non-physical invo- involvement. The feelings start to come really strong around what you, you, you want to do. And it starts to be something where it's emotional but non-physical involvement. Then the next step, instead of now thinking it, you're emotionally involved, is the actual physical involvement. You do the actions that you know are wrong. And then the final part is just now rationalising my actions. I have to be able to justify why I did that. And so I start to rationalise it in my mind. But it starts with a thought. It leads to emotion. And then it leads to action. And then I have to rationalise my action. And that's how we find ourselves in a path that's far from what God wanted. And so that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, this is a great chapter. We might like to just turn to that now together too. That's why Paul... uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, we put it so uh, dramatically. This is what he says. Flee 
in verse 18 of chapter 6. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee! So the result is if, it, if, it's, if this is going to happen and if you know, intimacy uh, comes when, when we've had a, a pathway that has been, you know, when, when we've been pure and that's been leading us to intimacy, if, if we could get off that path, if we don't guard our thoughts and our emotions and our actions, then we'd better flee from sexual immorality. And he says, all other sin a man commits out, are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your temple is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. And so uh, what, what Paul is saying, whatever you do, flee from it. And it, it's so hard. I mean, who, who has not, you know, each of us, living in this, you know, sex-filled kind of uh, society have all stumbled. We know what it's like to different degrees to feel like complete failures in this area. But Paul would say, he'd grab his arm around you and he'd say, friend, flee. This is so important because it affects your heart. All the other sins are outside the body, but this one will go deep down into you. It will, it will make you impure and it will affect your intimacy with other people. It sticks. You know, just before this passage, he'd said, don't lie with a prostitute. You know, what does someone who, who belongs to God have in common with a, with a prostitute? He's saying, oh, if you start sticking yourself to other people, things get stuck. And it's harder and harder to stick every time you pull it together. It loses its stickiness. And when it comes to marriage, you'll try hopelessly to give yourself unabandonedly to your husband or your wife. But it won't be like it could have been. Purity paves the way to intimacy. The way you act now is going to come back and bite you if it's the wrong way. You want a marriage which is good and pure. Then first make that commitment to live by God's standards. And second, flee. You know, understand that purity paves the way to intimacy. So what does this mean? I just quick, I'll just think, I think it means pull out the things in your life that are causing you to, to stumble. Uh, I mean, you can think of these, can't we? We could brainstorm and we could call out things. But, you know, there are people in your life who tempt you to go too far. There might be a relationship that you have right now and that relationship is the source of your sexual impurity. You, know, you need to talk about it. You need to break it off, maybe. Or, or maybe you know, really decide, what are we going to do? Maybe breaking it off, but at least talking about how wrong this is and how this is going to wreck you. And you might be touching someone who might be someone else's future husband or, or future wife. Yuck. So, so you need to talk about it. I mean, if it's friends that are with you that are talking about what they saw on the internet or trying to get you to do Maybe it's time to think about who you hang with. I mean, this is so important that you need to be careful about the friendships that you have. 
If it's the internet, maybe you need to move it out into a public place in your home, you know, or maybe you need to get no, you know, digital data roaming on your phone, or, or maybe you just need to, you know, get right off that thing if it's that bad. I, I think one of the best ways to break this grip and to flee is to just talk to someone about it, share with them, someone you trust, someone you love. I mean, this might be so filled with deep shame for you that you, don't, you can't think of anyone. But that's why we have here the Mustard Seed Counselling Centre and pastors who, who, who you can talk with if you can't find somebody else who you trust as a Christian. I mean, in a small group, there might be someone who you feel you can share, ask them to pray for you and, and ask them to see how you're going. But we have counselling. We have groups. We have groups where people just come together and talk about it, man to man, woman to woman, you know, uh, search for life, valiant man, door of hope for people who have been sexually abused. These are things that we offer as a church at different times throughout the year. And I think Paul would say, flee, you know, do whatever you can to get the help that you need because purity paves the way for intimacy. The stakes are high. And you want to live in a way that pleases God. So, so far, have we, we kind of said, make a commitment to, to God's standards. Let, let's do that. And the second thing is realise, get a grip out, and let our head, what I'm doing now affects my future. And I don't want it to wreck my future relationships. The third thing I think we need to do is receive God's forgiveness. I mean, all of us know uh, that, Absolute purity in this area is so hard today. And uh, that's why Jesus died for the ungodly. That's why he died uh, while we were still sinners. And so for each of us, as you uh, realise your, your sinfulness in this, I just think, I think what you need to do is first just come to a point and say, God, I want to repent. I want to say I'm sorry. This is what I've been doing. And, you know, it might be that you take a half day off and go up the top of the hill, you know, here with a journal and you look up all the, all the passages in your study Bible about, you know, what, what it means to be sexually pure and how you have fallen and you say that to God, I'm sorry, I'm repenting. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. I think the second thing is to receive his forgiveness. Um, this is exactly what David did. Do you remember when the prophet Nathan came to David and said, you know, there was a ship, there were some people, they had a sheep and uh, then the, a king came and the king took their sheep and killed the sheep just for their own meal, even though the king had all these other sheep. And, you know, David said, that man must die. And Nathan said, you're the man. You know, you, you took uh, Uzziah's uh, uh, wife and you had him killed and then you slept with her and you're an adulterer. You're the man. And he was cut to the heart. And you know what he did? Beautiful thing for us. He wrote Psalm 51. So if you've ever felt the guilt and the shame and the suffering of impurity of sexual sin, pick up Psalm 51 and open it and say, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Oh, God, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. God, you know, you can take this and use it as a prayer. So repent, ask for forgiveness, and then refocus and re, re, replace 
you know, turn back from the things that you know you shouldn't be watching or things that you're filling your mind with. And, and none of us would invite, you know, uh, a lot of the things that happen on the TV, you know, we wouldn't allow them to take place in our home physically, would we? I mean, imagine if a couple just walked in and said, G'day, here we're here, we're just going to have some uh, nudity tonight and some, you, you go, sorry, get it, I'm a Christian. But all of a sudden, we, we feel like we can turn on the TV and, and allow that to happen. Just walk, how did that happen? You know, so, so what, you, what we need to do is actually refocus and replace what's going into our mind. Start filling our mind with good things, what's morally pure, the things that are right. You know, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if anything is good or worthy of praise, think on these things. That's Proverbs, uh, sorry, Philippians 4 and verse 8. You know, think on what's good and, and replace that. And I think, fourthly, just request health daily. Uh, ask Jesus to help you every day in this area. Ask him to take care of your sexuality. Ask the relationship that you have with Jesus, you know, to grow closer and closer with him so that together, you know, you know him more, you receive your affirmation, your love from him and you can love others and treat them in a way that is God-honouring. There's some things. Four things to do. Now, today, one of the biggest uh, topics around is homosexuality and what we... uh, uh, and, and, and what would Jesus say to that? And um, as we've talked about, the, the Bible is a, a story about a loving God who loves us and who made us and loves us irrespective of uh, race or colour or background or sexual orientation. You know, God, God made us and he loves us. And Jesus said in John three seventeen, this is what he said. He said, I, did not, I have not come to condemn the world but to save it. Did you know he said that? Incredible, isn't it? Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And this homosexuality is a hot issue that is, at the moment, um, I think fair to say, dividing whole denominations around the world. Uh, there are uh, denominations that are, you know, that are really finding this issue one that's ripping them apart. And... and there's a broad spectrum of responses when it comes to homosexuality. On one extreme, there are people in the church, church and people who are very, very judgmental and, and they, they treat homosexuality as the unpardonable sin and they kind of place homosexuality at the top of this imaginary kind of totem pole. And they kind of say, well, right at the very top up there with pedophiles and murderers, we put homosexuality and people who, you know, do that kind of thing. Very, very judgmental, very critical. And then there are other churches and the other kind of extreme who are overly, you know, sympathetic. And, and, and some denominations welcome practising homosexuals into their membership and they ordain um, are openly gay uh, people to lead their congregations. Uh, many people have, you know, gay churches where practicing homosexuals are, are free to continue to practice um, as long as it's a monogamous relationship where there's two consenting adults. And so we've got these two extremes, and um, 
One of the things that I think uh, you see is that the issue polarises people. Many people get very, very angry and upset and, and people get wild when we, you start to talk to about it. And, and you kind of wonder in, in your own mind, why does it cause such strong feelings? Why has it caused such emotion? And you know what, what I think it is? When there's a, a, a group, you know, a group that we don't quite understand, we, we don't really know about it. In fact, it's a little bit odd people who are different to us. And when, when you don't understand what people are like, we, we tend to judge whatever we fear. It's a bit like racism. You know, if there's a people group that we don't really understand or know, we tend to judge those people because we don't know them. And then when we, uh, we fear them, we judge them. And then it can actually move to hatred in times. And I think we've come to kind of a place where many people see them as a bit of an oddity and therefore don't know how to respond and how to relate and, you know, therefore treat them like they're sort of different in terms of other sins. As we look at the Bible, there's Really not a whole stack of information in the Bible. There's some, you know, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and it looks like, you know, God's judgment there was mainly because of their homosexuality uh, practice. And then in Leviticus, there's the, the moral law and God's uh, prohibition there of homosexual behaviour. But Jesus doesn't really mention homosexuality directly. Uh, he, he kind of indirectly refers to it when he says that for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh so they're no longer two or one. So he, he kind of endorses marriage. And then you get to Paul and Paul mentions it a couple of times. He, he mentions it in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Maybe we could look that up if you've still got 1 Corinthians 6 there. And, and this is what he says. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, or, uh, nor sex, uh, sorry, nor, hang on, let me read that again. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, or adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. So for those you know, that are on the extreme side of judgmentalism in, in here, it's obvious here that Paul is mentioning homosexuality as being wrong. But he doesn't bring it out, do you notice? He puts it right in the midst of all these other things, sins like being greedy, uh, like being thieves, uh, thieving, uh, and being drunkards. And he doesn't seem to elevate it to be the worst of all sins that there are, but rather he mentions homosexuality as a sin along with all other ones that are unpleasing to God. 
But then he says, the great news is there's forgiveness in Christ because some of you were this, but now you've been forgiven through Jesus Christ. So that's the good news. And so this extreme kind of approach seems to do a lot of damage. Um, And it doesn't do a lot for our reputation as the church. And often I think as a church we've got a lot to say to homosexual people that we're sorry for. Uh, you know, uh, David Kinnaman wrote a book recently called Unchristian and in it he shares uh, findings of a survey of young adults and young people in America and they found that the number one tag that people associated with, uh, with Christians was this. Anti-gay. Does that break your heart? That the one thing people know about us is that we hate homosexuals. I think for us as a church, it, it really saddens me that we kind of take a group when for all of us, We've all been sinful. And we all need Jesus. Cy Rogers, he was a a gay man before he came to know Jesus. And he said, the biggest thing I found hard was every time I talked to a Christian, all they wanted to talk about was my sexuality. But what I needed was a saviour. And yet, we kind of say, you're welcome here no matter who you are. But you kind of need to change if we, if we kind of be extremely judgmental to people. But really the issue for homosexuals is to help people just like everyone else come to know Jesus and allow Jesus to transform their hearts and lives. And it's discipleship. That is the way that we want to help everyone, whether you're a thief, whether you're a drunkard, whether you're a homosexual. And the way we want to let you know that Jesus loves you is by showing our love unconditionally, to love you. Now, there's an issue between grace and truth. I mean, uh, we just don't say that, hey, homosexuality is fine and great and, oh, go for it. But there is an issue of saying we want people to come to know Jesus because if I don't know Jesus and yet I continue to practice homosexuality and you say, would you stop practicing homosexuality? It's not because of my love for Jesus or God's transformed me. It's because I've modified my behaviour. We want Jesus to come and change us from the inside out. We want him to bring deep change that only God can bring. And so um, this is I think what we, we have to do. The saddest thing is now we have a mission problem here. If, if homosexuals think the one thing they think about the church is that we're anti-gay, do you know what? I'll tell you this. There's a lot of people that aren't here tonight because they think that we just are against homosexuals. So it would stop, firstly, homosexuals feeling like they'd be welcomed if they came here and they need Jesus, just like we all need Jesus. And the second thing is it's going to stop a whole lot of other people your age and and my age that would not come, even though they're heterosexual, but they would never come because they 
don't agree that a church should dislike or judge homosexual. So I think our values are right when we say you're welcome no matter who you are or what you've done. We, we, we want to welcome as a church homosexual people. Let me say that. We do. We want to welcome drunkards. We want to welcome people who are thieves. We want to welcome people who don't know Jesus because that's what our church is for. We want to help people come to the cross and be able to sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But Jesus is changing me from the inside out. And, you know, I believe that when this is right, when this is right, it changes the way that we want to live with other people. And that work people who generally come to know God. I think God transforms their heart and minds as we help and disciple and support people no matter who they are. I feel a little bit funny just even talking about this, but in terms of some people might ask, but, you know, hey, aren't even homosexuals just born that way? Like, is there... Homosexuals just kind of have an unfortunate preference one way that, you know, maybe even this is just how they came. And, and the jury's out on that, actually. There are different studies, but no conclusive proof. But I think for all of us, uh, we're all a product, aren't we, no matter what our sexuality is, of uh, biology, of uh, psychology, of sociology, and, and just how much those impact us. You know, maybe we were grown up with a, you know, with a dad who hated us or, or a mama who you know, was overly protective or whatever. These things can have factors. Maybe the things that have gone in our lives can. Maybe our, our physical makeup, maybe our, uh, the way in which we've interacted with other peers, all these. But the jury's out on exactly it. But you know what? It's a secondary issue. The first issue is follow Jesus. So if you end up to be someone who's homosexual, being a homosexual is not a sin. Being a practising homosexual is what, is what we would uh, say. You know, people are tempted to act all the time. Like if you're, uh, it's just like being a, sin, a single person who's a sexual person, but if you practise your you know, physical sexuality, then you're sinning. Well, just the same if, if someone has a, a preference for males when they're a male, uh, well, the call for them if they come and follow Jesus is to live in a way that honours God's, God's commands in this area. And we want to help people do that. And so it's a secondary issue of what my, how I got to how I am. The main thing is I want to follow Jesus. And when I want to follow Jesus, that falls into practice. Tonight, um, it's hard, isn't it? Whatever we are, whether we're heterosexual, homosexual, whatever we are living in this world, to live for Jesus takes courage. I mean, everywhere we go, there's temptations, there's struggles. You know, I love you. I want you to be able to be people that can hold your head up high before God. Intimacy comes from a life of purity and following Jesus is the way that we get to live a life that honours him and loves one another. Let's, let's 
seek to be those that live morally pure lives as best as we can and, and when we sin to come back to the cross and say thank you Jesus and, 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 and make a commitment to live for him every day. Ask for his strength, ask for his power. When we see people that are living you know, you know, not the way that God intended them to and not receiving the love of the Father as we have, let's help them come to know Jesus. Let's tell them about this God that loves them and allow Jesus to transform their lives as he sees the difference he made in your and my life. We want to be a church that welcomes and loves you no matter where you are, no matter where your struggle is in this, and we want to help you to follow Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? God, change us from the inside out. God, help us to become the kind of people who flee from sexual immorality. God, help us to be those that seek every day to be becoming the kind of partner that we can offer one day in marriage to to another person. God, pure, one who's forgiven and stands before you. God, we pray, I pray especially for young people tonight. God, I pray especially for young people who are in the midst of friendships that uh, where pornography is just accepted. Lord, for, for young people who are struggling with that issue as well, may they realise your best is for them, that you have your word to shape and guide them for the best in their life. And God, would you give them the courage to make this decision, break off those relationships, stop things that are stopping them. And may you give them the courage to stand for you. Oh, God, thank you for your love for each one. Guide us and lead us to holy lives. Change us, Lord, from the inside out, Jesus, we pray. Amen.